first off the bat, uh, we had some great uh, baptisms. We had like eight people um, confess their faith uh, for Jesus last week during Easter. So let's give a shout out for those people. That's awesome. It's always good to see um, the church growing. Um, as you guys first come in, you'll see a greeting table. Uh, we have a lot of cards placed out, and hopefully there'll be people there to greet you and also at the doors. If you have not filled out one of those greeting cards or contact cards, we'd love for you to fill one out so we can get you plugged in. Uh, we'd love for you guys to get plugged in. If you want to know uh, how to get better plugged in, um, that's what I'm up here to, f- to tell you about. We have a lot of small groups going on throughout the week. After the service on Sundays, Stephen does a, um, a Bible study. And so if you guys want to stick around after the service, are we doing it this week? No, we're not doing it this week because we're doing communion. Um, and so we're going to have some food and fellowship time afterwards. So if you guys haven't eaten dinner, dinner, it's a good thing. But normally, after Sundays, we would have that. Um, on Monday nights, Dave's leading a Bible study on campus. Um, that's 8 o'clock in Massey Hall. If you guys are at Shawnee and would like to get involved, let us know. Tuesday nights, Dustin Cooley is doing a Bible study at the Rev House. So if you guys would like to join that, let us know. Ryan Roth is just now starting up a new uh, Bible study on Wednesday nights. So if you want to get involved with him, if you aren't in another one currently, see him after the service. And I'm doing a guys Bible study on Thursday night, so if any of you gentlemen want to uh, come see me, let me know. I'm coming up in two weeks, free market. Um, we've been addressing this. It's something that we, it's an event. Um, we'd like to bring in some, some clothes, some non-perishable items, whether it be food or, or uh, furniture. Um, they don't have to be brand new, but we don't want them being junk. You know, we don't want you to give away junk, um, but that's coming up the 25th, so not this coming or next Saturday, but the Saturday after. And uh, next week, we are going to be sorting some of this stuff, getting it organized. Um, if you want, I'd like to donate and bring in some stuff, see Alex, see Autumn. They are trying to put some of the stuff together. So if you guys would like to serve that way, um, that'd be a great way to serve. Coming up, as the, warm, uh, the weather gets warmer, we are going to be having um, some cookouts and stuff in the East End some uh, trash pickups and possibly some other things. If you guys have some great ideas we can get involved with, that'd be great. Share them. And so just be trying to open up your schedule and um, open up some free time so you can come and serve that way. So I hope you all had a good Easter. And if you all would like to get up and greet each other, um, let's start off with, if you could be any type of animal, what would you be? So get up and greet each other. What's up, Revolution? One more time. What's up, Revolution? That was pretty cool. That was really good. Yeah. So, starting sermons are always, like, the most awkward thing in the world. Like, they're seriously, like, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. I'm just, I'm I'm winging it every single week. I'm just, like, throwing stuff up against the wall, hoping something sticks. Right? Has anyone ever, like, met that perfect person? I'm not talking about, like, the one that you're going to marry. Right? Yeah, you saw that? No, no, no. That's not what we're doing. Like, you ever met that dude, I'm going to go with the dude here, um, the, uh, the dude that just seems like they're it, like they just, they got it all figured out, right? They got good teeth, they got good hair, that five o'clock David Beckham, like five o'clock shadow on their face and their body's just chiseled, like, you know what I'm talking about, that guy? I, I, what I'm essentially doing is I'm describing like the kind of people that like fat, metalhead, high school Dave wanted to beat up, but if he tried, like he would have got destroyed because I've always been a wuss forever. Um, like those kinds of guys... Like these smart, good-looking, like funny people that seem like they don't have any problems, right? Everything is great. They don't have a care in the world. Don't you hate that guy? 
Like, let's be real here for a minute. Like, I'm not the only sinner in the room. Like, let's be honest with ourselves, right? But I've, I've noticed this about these kinds of people. Um, we, we see this, right? And we, and we buy into their persona, right? Maybe it's your persona, right? This everything's cool, everything's good. I know what I'm doing. My life's got it going on pretty good. Um, and we buy into that. And it's really stupid that we buy into that. That Why? Because, like, you can see interviews with, uh, like, celebrities and models, and we see women that are beautiful that think that, like, that they're, like, overweight and stuff like that, and they're totally fine with how they are. Um, you see celebrities that tell you, like, you know, I'm miserable. I have all this money, and yet I'm miserable. We see people like Kurt Cobain uh, commit suicide. So things like that. Um, and, and, and forget celebrities that we know have kind of junk in their lives. Um, but if you get to know someone, like, that you work with that you think has life all figured out and you really, like, get to, like, do life with that person for a minute, you find out really quick, like, they're just as screwed up as you are, <laughs> right? Like, everyone's got some stuff going on that they need to, that they got to work out. Um, everyone deals with something, right? Everyone sucks. That's, like, the best part about the gospel to me. It's, like, the great equalizer of mankind. We are all miserable human beings. Um, but instead of remembering that, what do we do? We buy the lie. Right? We buy the lie. We buy into the persona um, that people are throwing out to us. And then we become insecure about ourselves. Um, and as a result of becoming insecure about ourselves, what we start to do is we put up this false posture, like fake exterior, right? Like this, like this persona we start putting off. Like we've got it all together because we've been made to feel insecure by the people who give off the persona that they have it all together. Right? And that looks like this. How's the family doing, bro? Family's great. Fighting with my wife, but the family is great. How's your job? Duh, I'm not getting paid enough. Job sucks, but job is great. Right? Have you seen my Instagram or my Facebook profile? My life rules. Right? Anyone else like get on there? Like just that lie, the social network lie. Right? I deal with nothing on the internet. Right? And we all know that that's bogus. Um, and it's stupid that we would buy into that or that they would, we would try to put that kind of false persona up. But here's my question. What kind of tendency... Um, what about that tendency to be this way within the church? Right, put up this fake exterior kind of posturing bull. Right, I'm trying to be good here. Um, I, I grew up my whole life in church. I haven't always been a Christian, but I, but I grew up in church, um, and I've seen people put this persona up. Everything is great. Um, we don't struggle with sin. We know everything, right? We talk the right way, we act the right way, we know what to do in this situation. We just put up this false thing as Christians in the church, like that we have everything figured out and we know what to do. All right, whenever people in the church do that, I think that it leads you to two different places. Uh, I think it can lead you, one, into arrogance, um, where you buy into your own lie that you've got everything figured out, and then you start to look down on other people who don't, right? You start to think, the, like you, you convince yourself that you really don't struggle with sin, Right? Or that this isn't really a problem for you, or you have no like inward heart issues you need to deal with. So you start kind of looking down on other people um, because their exterior doesn't look as good as yours. Um, or you can go like and become insecure, right? Or fake. Um, I think that's the second thing you can do where you won't admit your own sin. And whenever you won't admit your own sin, what that does, I think, it leads you, well, not I think, I know. Whenever you won't admit that you sin and you're being fake because you're trying to put up this false front, uh, you become unrepentant about the things that you should be dealing with, and that's not Christianity. That's not saving faith, where you don't repent and don't deal with your own sin. Um, I, I think that living with this false posturing, this fake exterior, it, um, it leads us to be very religious, 
That's what we're going to talk about this evening. We're going to talk about uh, experiencing the gospel of grace versus being religious. Um, and whenever we become very religious, it proves that we have not experienced the gospel of Jesus, that we've not come to understand grace. So what religion actually does to us is it causes us to keep up the appearance of godliness without any actual heart change is what it really does. All because, why? For some reason or another, whatever your personal reasons might be, if you find yourself tending to be a religious person, um, we want others to think that we love God and that we have this whole Christian life kind of figured out. You know, and this false veneer Christianity, in the words of Matt Chandler, this veneer Christianity is really prevalent in our culture, especially here in the Bible Belt. Amen? Right? Yeah, like no one sins. Are you crazy? Like we're Baptists. No one sins. Um, some of you don't think that's funny because you're Baptist whenever you're not a revolution, and I'm sorry. Um, right? But like it's super prevalent around here. And what we have to do is we have to kill being religious. If, if we don't, we're going to turn into Pharisees. Right? And tonight we're going to see Jesus gives arguably the harshest rebuke that he ever gave. And it was to Pharisees. It was the religious people. The, the people who only focused on their exterior persona and never focused on their heart towards God. Everything was about the outside and never any of the inside. So this is, a, this is kind of fun for me. This is the, uh, we're in the, did Jesus really say that series? Right? And usually we think Jesus is this guy, if we can go back to him. Do we not have it? We usually think Jesus is this guy, right? The effeminate, white, like the greatest miracle Jesus ever did was being white in the Middle East, right? I don't understand, <laughs> I don't understand how he did that, um, right? But we see this like effeminate, like white Jesus with rosy cheeks and blonde hair. He looks like he should have been in the 80s, like hair metal band. Um, that's not the case at all, right? Jesus is not this effeminate, like woman, right, at all. Jesus was a man. And we're going to see Jesus like straight up throwing fists at these religious people. Right, so this whole, did Jesus really say that? Like, we're going to see Jesus isn't, like, he was meek for certain. He loved people for certain. He was mild in some instances, but whenever he had a strong rebuke to give, he didn't play, right? And we're going to check that out here in a while. It's going to take us a while to actually get to the text, so, so bear with me. Um, but I just want you guys to know, Jesus wasn't a wuss, and I really wanted to make that white Middle Eastern joke. Like, that was funny. Like, I don't care what anyone says. That was really funny. Sometimes I add things into the sermon just because, like, I just want to really say them and see what you guys do. Um, <laughs> All right, but let's talk about Pharisees for a minute, all right? Uh, Pharisees, these were the religious leaders of the Jewish people, right? They were the top dogs. They were considered the holy guys, right? Um, These guys were the well-respected people in the Jewish community. They were revered by everyone, and they were seen, right, on the outside, they were seen as legit, like everything was going really well for them spiritually, and they really had everything together, right? They wore the right clothes, Right? And what I mean is, like, uh, Jews, it's just kind of cool. They would um, take boxes, and they would, like, wrap them around their heads, like, with, like, a string. And there would be a box here, like, on their forehead. And it would have scripture on the inside of it. And they would do the same thing with these armbands, which, like, I think is, like, the Jewish equivalent of a WWJD bracelet. Um, right? So they wore the right clothes. Um, they would pray publicly. Right? And Jesus said they prayed loudly. Like, that old dude at Wendy's that, like, wants everyone to know he's blessing his food. And he's over in the corner. And you're like, ah, it was kind of loud, bro. Right? That guy. Um, they knew scripture really well, especially their experts in religious law, right? The scribes or the experts, we're going to see and call that in our translation later. Um, they really, really, really knew scripture well. And because of that, um, they could and did debate theology all the time. And we're good at that here at Revolution. We're going to talk about that later. Um, and they were, on top of all these things, they were really, really into ritual purity, 
right? Hand washing, we're going to see, is one of the things that Jesus um, kind of, they try to tune him up on, and he goes off, right? But they're really into ritual purity. What, what essentially all these things boil down to is the Pharisees, they were experts in external righteousness, They were experts in looking really good. And yet these really, really religious people opposed Jesus, right? Jesus says, if you reject the son, if you reject Jesus, then you reject the father. So that's like a little bit of a problem here, right? For these these super religious guys. It's like inviting like a couple of parents over to your house for dinner and telling them to like leave their snot-nosed punk brat kids that they don't discipline enough home. Anyone ever had that happen? Some of you aren't laughing because you seriously don't whip your kids enough. Um, I don't have any kids. I don't know what that's like. It's a joke. Um, (laughs) Right? But they reject Jesus. So Jesus says, you reject me, then you reject my father. Um, You reject the ones who sent me. So God, or Jesus actually says that God says this about the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. He says, my name is on their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So that's who these guys are. So what they do is they look the part. God's name is on their lips, but their hearts are far from him. They dress right, they talk right, they act right, but they don't actually love God. There's a problem here. This was evident in their personal lives. History tells us that these Pharisees took bribes behind closed doors, that they didn't help the poor. And if they helped the poor, it was only for an external show, but they really weren't devoted to helping anyone. They openly hated Gentiles. They hated non-Jews, people that weren't just like them. They excluded people that they thought were too bad of sinners. Right? They showed no grace to anyone. They showed no love. They had no personal holiness. We're going to see Jesus calls them wicked and greedy. They had no heart change. So what they did was they rejected the internal commands over the heart that God gives us, right? Change your heart. And they cling, or clung, I don't know what the right, I don't know what that is. They, they would cling to the external, right? So that they would appear to be righteous. That's what they did. They would ignore the internal, cling to the external, and that's why they hated Jesus. That's why they hated Jesus in his message. Because Jesus called for heart change. Jesus calls for genuine repentance, a genuine change in mind that changes your heart, and then your actions follow. It's not all about the outside, but it starts inwardly, right? That's what true faith is. That's what true faith in Jesus looks like, is heart change, right? These people were super religious, right? And I want you guys, I'm going to repeat myself probably a good bit this evening. Just bear with me. Religion focuses on external behavior and behavior modification and seeming like you don't mess up. Religion essentially says this. If I look the part, if I know scripture, if I pretend I don't mess up, if I know how to talk, if I be really good on the outside, then I'm good enough for God. That's what religion says. But that's a problem. Again, there's lots of problems because Jesus says that genuine faith True religion, in the words of James, starts internally with loving God, and then it works its way out. That's actually, I I think that's the distinguishing mark between Christianity and all other religions. Um, Christians, followers of Jesus, we revolve around an understanding of grace. Right? And here's what I mean by this. We understand, uh, and we, our lives, we try to make our lives revolve around this fact, that our hearts, by nature, are bent away from God and wicked, but that he has done everything to save us through Jesus. Right? That Jesus was going to be perfect where we're sinful, where our hearts are bent away from God. Jesus' heart is completely obedient to God. In the internal and the external, Jesus was perfect where we screw everything up. And then after being perfect, he would bear our sin in our place and suffer the wrath of God for us so that through faith in him, we would be saved. 
right? We revolve around that. And then furthermore on that, we, 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 we try our best to understand, I, I could not do this for myself. That It had to be done for me. And I, did not, like, I could not choose to do good, but God chose to save me. I did nothing. I did not, in the words of Smokey from Friday, I did not put in on this man, right? I did not put in on this at all. I didn't do anything good to deserve this. He gave, I can't believe I just quoted Friday. I'm losing my job next week. Um, but we did nothing good to put in on this at all. It was all given to us. God chose us. He chose to save us. He chose to send Jesus. Jesus was obedient for us. We revolve around all of this having nothing to do with us and everything to do with Jesus. All right, and that grace, we did nothing. Unmerited favor. That grace does something to us internally. Or it should at least. So check yourself maybe. It causes us to have this deep love and this deep, deep gratitude that we can't fully explain to God. All right? And it starts, like I said, it, it starts internally. We, we begin to really love God and we begin to love his commands and it leads us to express it by how we live. All right? and I'm not going to give you a PSA or anything, but, but like it, it expresses in how we live. Like We start putting sin to death. We say, hey, man, I really like to do this sin, right? Like, I really, really like to watch porn. But I love Jesus more than I love to watch porn, so uh, that's going to override this, and I'm going to begin to put this to death. Not that I'm never going to mess up again. Uh, by the grace of God, you won't. But you're, you're going to follow Jesus and love Jesus more than you love this. That, you know, you see someone needs help, and I should serve other people. And I really don't want to, but I love Jesus more than I love being comfortable. And I love Jesus more than I love my free time. So I'm going to help them. Right? We begin to serve other people. We begin to put sin to death. And then we begin, because we can't help it, to tell other people about this grace that we've experienced. We want to tell people the good news of Jesus. Right? How to be reconciled to God. And we do all of this, why? From gratitude, because of grace, because our heart has been changed. Right? The gospel has infiltrated us and begun to change us. Right? So what I'm getting at here is religion equals this external show where we pretend to be righteous. But grace, right, the gospel of grace is internal. That leads to external, right? External, don't ever think, oh, my heart's changed, my actions don't have to. Bull, right? Paul and James and everyone in the New Testament will tell you, you're a liar, um, and you need to read the Bible more often, all right? But, like, this is, like, real love for God. Right, so check this out. This, this really, like, this hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, this is going to be so simple to you guys. You're going to say, I can't believe you're a preacher, and this, you didn't really get this yet. Um, Jesus hates religion. Jesus hates religion, and here's why. Here's what, like, hit me. Jesus hates religion because you don't have to love God to be religious at all. You just have to seem like you do. And it's really not that hard to do. It's not that hard to seem like you love God. Right? And now this, ladies and gentlemen, this is where it's going to get fun. Right? This is usually the part of the sermon that I'm going to go on a tirade about the legalist churches out there, right, without dropping any names, though, because we're above that. Right? This is usually the part where I'm going to do that, and I'm going to focus on, like, man-made traditions uh, that make people religious and make them think that they're good with God. Right? Usually now is the time in the sermon where I would rip on churches that tell you not to drink and not to cuss and not to smoke and not to watch R-rated movies, not to listen to secular music. The kind of churches that tell you to wear a suit, to sing only hymns, and only watch The Passion for Entertainment. That's the one R-rated movie that we're going to give the green light to because it's by Mel Gibson and it's about Jesus. Don't ever get that twisted. We will allow the passion. Ask Liberty University. No R-rated movies on Liberty's campus, but they will allow the passion. I'm sorry. That's just always been funny to me. 
right? And that's where I want to go, right? Like, that's what I want to do. I want to really, like, rip on these kinds of churches. Um, you know, I like to ask questions, right, about why we culturally, instead of biblically, condemn these kinds of things as sin when they're not really biblically sinful. Um, that's what I wanted. I, I know I kind of just did, too. <laughs> Right? I'm like, that's what I want to do, and I already kind of did it. Whatever. I can't help it. Um, but that's not what we're going to do. That's not what I'm going to focus on. I, I wanted to. When I was writing this, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to like give it to all these churches around here. That's, that's not what happened. Um, and here's why we're not going to do that. And it's because it's a lot easier to point the finger than it is to look in the mirror. Yeah, this is going to suck, ladies and gentlemen. Like this, <laughs> I'm just going to be real with you here for a minute. This is going to suck. All right, now what I could do is I could take this passage that we've yet to look at, and I know you guys are wondering, when is he actually going to read the Bible? Um, I, could, I could take this passage and I can exegete it, right? I could isolate it and really just dig, look, what do some of these Greek words mean? And I could teach you guys some stuff that you probably don't know. Right? I could teach you some cultural stuff. Um, I could teach you some really cool stuff, some interesting stuff if you're a nerd that you would like, but I'm not going to do that either. What are you going to do, preacher man, right? What I'm going to do is I'm going to pose some questions to us. And then I'm going to let the weight of this passage sink in on us. All right? And then we're going to look at the big, broad point that I think Jesus was trying to make in this. Right? So as I'm asking these questions, don't try to exclude yourself from them. Just let them hit you and examine your own heart and ask yourself, is this me? All right? And here's the big question. We've got some sub points to it, but here's the big question. Why do we do the things we do? Right? Why do we do the things we do? I'm talking about the Christian stuff, right? Like the stuff that you're supposed to do, the stuff that Christians do, the stuff that churches really push you to do. Um, why do we do those things? You know, church. Do you go to church on Sunday because it's what you do on Sunday? Right? Is that what you do? Uh, because it's expected to keep up appearances, to make your parents happy, to make your girlfriend happy, to make your wife happy, whatever. Is that why you come to church? to keep up your appearances or because, you know, you formed a social network of friends and you just happen to be in this mix where all your friends are Christians. And if you don't go, now it's going to be like weird and you can't be the only non-Christian. So you're going to put up this front and go to church on Sunday. Is that why you come to church? You know, why do you study the Bible? Why do you read the Bible? Oh, and this one hits home for me. Why do you read the Bible and why do you read books on theology and doctrine? Why do you do that? Do you do, you do that because that's what you do at Revolution? Because that's the culture here? Nerdy, semi, like, young, pretty weak theologians, if we're going to be totally honest. Like, is, is, that, is, that what, is that what we're doing here? Like, you think it's going to make you seem legit and godly if you're smarter than other Christians? Right, is that why you study? Because you think that then you'll know you're a Christian because you're biblically educated? Or do you study the Bible because you love God and you want to know what he said? And you want to understand it better so that you can tell other people the truth? Or do you do it because you just want to feel better about yourself? You know, do you, do you help out with free market, right? Or do you want to help with free market? Or do you want to help out in the East End because it's going to make you look good? Right? So that you can check it off your list of the chores and things that you did. So like, I know I'm a Christian because I did this. Like, is that it? Because it's going to make you feel good about yourself or make you going to look good to other people? Is that why you want to help in the East End? Or do you do it because you want to show grace to people? Because you've been showed grace by Jesus. You know, why do you... Why do you talk to people about Christianity? Why do you try to evangelize, right? Do you do that? Do you, do you study apologetics so you can tell people uh, the gospel of Jesus? Or do you go and try to strike up conversations with people about the gospel so that you can show them how right you are and just how wrong they are? Is that what you're doing? Is that your heart? 
to prove to them that Christians can be educated too because you've used apologetics? Is that what your heart is? Or do you want them to come to experience the grace of the gospel because it's the only way to live and that's the only true life that there is in this world? Is that why you're doing it? Right? Essentially, what I want us to do is I want us to ask ourselves, do I do these things because I love God because I've experienced the grace of the gospel? Because he saved me? Or am I just rolling through these things so that I can keep a Christian face in front of other people? Or because I get something out of it personally? That's what I want us to ask ourselves. You know, Have you experienced the grace of God and now love him or are you religious? Ask yourself that question. Let's go to the text. Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 54, I do believe. Um, it's going to be here on the projector behind me. If you guys don't have a Bible, um, we usually say it's at the beginning of the service. Take one of those blue Bibles home. That is our gift to you. That's free. Take it with you. All right. But let's check this out. Verse 37. As Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went in and took his place at the table. And his host was amazed to see, right? He was offended. He was amazed. He was astounded to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand washing ceremony required by Jewish custom, right? Remember, this hand washing thing, this was not Levitical law. This was not Old Testament Torah law. This was just a, a, an appearing righteous thing that people had made up to make yourselves look good. This was an external covenant kind of thing. It had nothing to do with loving God and had everything to do with appearances. And Jesus hits him back with this. Then the Lord said to him, you Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools. Didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor and you'll be clean all over. What sorrow awaits you Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. What sorrow awaits you Pharisees, for you love to sit in the seats of honor in the synagogues and receive respectful greetings as you walk in the marketplaces. Yes, what sorrow awaits you, for you are like hidden graves in a field. People walk all over them without knowing the corruption they're stepping on. So what Jesus is essentially saying is this to these super religious people. You are so concerned with the outward appearance, the appearance of loving God, that you neglect anything on the inside whatsoever. You have had no heart change. And you love the fact that others think you're godly. But in reality, you don't love God. Jesus actually says that these religious people are like unmarked graves, right? That that what they're doing is they're leading the people that follow them and their example into the grave because they're spiritually dead themselves because their heart's not been regenerated. They've not fully come to understand the gospel. They understand grace, none whatsoever, and they're trying to keep up this front. Verse 45 Teacher, said an expert in religious law, you've insulted us too in what you just said. All right, and here's some comic relief for you guys if you think I'm getting a little bit too real. (laughs) Some idiot pipes up in the middle of Jesus going off on everybody. Teacher, you've insulted us too. It's like, shut up, Jeff. (laughs) Right? It's like Jesus is going on like a rant and he's rebuking, like, don't mess with him right now. And like, we're going to see this goes really, really bad. Like, if I would have been there, I would have been like, Yeah, Jesus, I don't know what their problem is, man. Like, they're, like, totally dirty on the inside. You tell them, Lord. And I would have sat back and shut up, but this guy's an idiot, right? So we see Jesus say this. 
Right, this guy pipes up, teacher, you've insulted us. And Jesus says this, yes, said Jesus, what sorrow awaits you experts in religious law? For you crush people with unbearable religious demands and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. What sorrow awaits you? For you build monuments for the prophets your own, your own ancestors killed long ago. Remember, building monuments, this is an external thing. But in fact, you stand as witnesses who agree with what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you join in their crime by building the monuments. This is what God in his wisdom said about you. I will send prophets and apostles to them, but they will kill some and persecute the others. As a result, this generation will be held responsible for the murder of all God's prophets from the creation of the world, from the murder of Abel to the murder of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, it will certainly be charged against this generation. What sorrow awaits you experts in religious law? For you remove the key to knowledge from the people. You don't enter the kingdom yourselves and you prevent others from entering. So let me sum all that up for you because that was a lot. Jesus says your lives prove that you stand opposed to Jesus and the rest of God's messengers, all of his prophets, because they called you and Jesus calls you to drop the act and repent. To stop playing. Drop the act. Drop the false exterior and repent. And you won't. And that's why you're guilty. Because you're cool with keeping up the act and appearing godly. And and, and in reality, you're a stumbling block to the people who actually want to know God. And here's something interesting. Here's why Jesus can say you're a stumbling block to the people who want to enter the kingdom. Because you don't enter the kingdom yourself. He says, I think he says this because people will see your example once they get close enough to you. And they'll get a glimpse of your heart. They'll see why you do the things you do. People will see if you're motivated by a love for God, if you're just trying to put up an exterior. Your heart will eventually betray you and bleed out into your attempted exterior act. Your heart will betray you eventually. And then we see this. Luke eleven fifty three and 54. As Jesus was leaving, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees became hostile and tried to provoke him with many questions. They wanted to trap him into saying something they could use against him. So after Jesus points out what's wrong with them, and their need to repent, and he calls them to repent, what do they do? They get mad. They get angry, right? And those are always our options with Jesus. You can be hostile to his message and get offended and be insulted, or you can repent and follow Jesus. Those are your options every single time. So I'm going to pose a couple of more questions. Have we, at Revolution, have we become Pharisees? Have we become Pharisees, right? And I'm not talking to everyone in here, but the people in here, you know who you are. I'm talking to me too on this. Have we become Pharisees? Have we become people who merely keep up appearances in church? Have we become people that want to be like the scribes and the Pharisees who want to be educated in the word so we can debate? So that we can major on the minors? So that we can draw battle lines and fight with people over stupid stuff? Are we a people at Rev who have have tons of external head knowledge where we essentially treat the Bible like a textbook but have no real heart change? Where we know about God but we don't know God? Is that who we've become? Never forget this. On your life, never forget this. You can know all the theology in the world and have no zeal for God and therefore no love for other people and that is nothing but religion. Doesn't matter what you know, it matters where your heart's positioned at. 
That kind of living, that kind of religion is just religion. It's not following Jesus. It's not experiencing grace. I'll throw this out to you too. If this is how we're living, and God knows I'm guilty of this, if this is how we are living, then we are giving an example to new believers. Jesus says that we're leading them into spiritual death. And why is that? Because we are inadvertently, because of our thirst for knowledge instead of a love for God, we're leading them into this cold, dead religion that is all about being pompous, never admitting your own weaknesses and bashing other people that don't agree with you. That's what we're leading them into. And that kind of religion does not save because that kind of religion does not flow from the grace of the gospel. It flows from this arrogance that says, God must accept me because I know his word so well. It's essentially a form of work salvation. Right, but, but maybe you're not the arrogant one, right? I know that I'm not talking to everyone in here with that. Maybe you're not the arrogant one. Uh, maybe you're the insecure one, or maybe you're the fake, right? The one who tries to act the part but doesn't love God, right? Won't, won't even admit your failures, which this, again, ties into the Pharisee kind of thing, too. But maybe you're not the arrogant one. Maybe you're just the fake, Right? The one that goes to church, the one that listens to the music and sings along, who reads the Bible sometimes, who, who maybe plays in the band, who maybe teaches sometimes, right? Posts the annoying Facebook stuff, right? Like one like equals one prayer, like if you love Jesus. Stop that crap, ladies and gentlemen. Like, like maybe that's you um, where you pretend like you have it all together and you won't admit that you struggle with things. And if this is you, I want to warn you of something. That mask, that facade, Right, that kind of act is going to crush you. When you try to act like everything's cool and, and nothing is okay on the inside because your heart's not been changed by the gospel, that kind of act is going to crush you because doing all these externals from sheer willpower is going to leave you dead inside. Right, you might keep it up for a while, but you'll eventually crash through and it's done you no good because you still stand guilty of your sin because your heart's not been changed by the gospel because you don't really have faith. Right? Not, not admitting our sin and trying to act like everything is cool on the outside because we're trying to put up this false front for everybody. It's going to lead us, um, instead of going to the cross and, and looking to Jesus for our hope, it's going to lead us into masking our sin with more exterior behavior. All right, but here's the problem. The root, your heart, has never been dealt with. Right, and when the heart hasn't been dealt with, the gospel of grace has not broken in. Wherever the heart hasn't been dealt with, the gospel has not broken in. And I'm telling you guys this. It is really easy to become comfortable, right, looking the part uh, and not confessing your sin or dealing with your sin and just trying to make everyone think that you know what's up. It is really easy to become comfortable with that because I've done this. Um, actually, I was falling into the habit of doing this not too long ago. Um, back uh, sometime last year, I was struggling with hate. Um, no, I'm sorry, it was, it was early this year, I'm sorry. Uh, I was struggling with hate, right? I was struggling with bitterness and anger with some people, and, and lust was starting to become a problem in my head more and more and more. Um, and, and there were some just a couple more things that I was really, really struggling with, and I was acting like I was fine. My love for God was dwindling. I wasn't focusing on the cross. I wasn't focusing on my gratitude for Jesus, although I stood up here and I preached it. Right? My heart had, had, was starting to grow cold, and I was putting up this front because I'm the pastor. I can't be weak. Right? 
All my friends are Christians. I can't admit that I'm dealing with stuff that they're not dealing with right now. I got to be the strong one because people are depending on me. I got to put up this veneer because other people are looking at me and I got to look right. I can't admit that I'm wrong. I can't admit that I'm messing up. I can't admit that I sin. And then my good friend Dustin, he came into my room and he said, How you doing, bro? I'm good, man. It's good. How you doing, bro? I broke. Broke. Started talking to him, confessing stuff, and I dealt with it. I took it to the cross. I dealt with it, and I repented. Right? What I had been doing was I had been building this false persona and, and, and making excuses for my sin and trying to justify my actions, pretending like there was nothing to deal with. I was pretending like I had everything under control, and that's dangerous. Right, Because here's what that does. Not dealing with your sin, not dealing with all this, not letting the gospel begin to hit you in the heart, it leads you into a place where you don't think you need forgiveness because you'll justify your own sin and act like it's not a problem. And where you think you don't need forgiveness, then you begin to think that you don't need Jesus. You just need to keep the act going. And that's not living in grace. That's living in religion. That's living in a lie. It's denying your daily need for Jesus, and that road leads to hell because that's not real faith. Real faith acknowledges its sin and says, Jesus is the only thing that's going to right this. Right, so what I'm saying is this. Whether you fit into either of those categories or both or whatever, everyone needs to check themselves in this room. Everyone needs to check their heart. And, and please, please, don't think that I'm up here being some self-righteous jerk I'm saying this stuff because I love you guys, and and listen to me. I'm asking these kinds of questions and and hopefully saying some stuff that pierces into your heart because when I look in the mirror personally as your pastor, I see these wicked, ungodly tendencies in me, and I hate them. And I don't want to lead you guys into the same kind of junk that I'm prone to. I want us all to walk deeply with Jesus together. That's why I'm posing this all, all, all to you guys. I don't want to look out and see that I've created some kind of monster, so I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you guys. Please don't think that I'm pointing the finger. We're all prone to lie to ourselves and mask our sin. We're all prone to put on some act and act like that's what we need to keep going. We're all prone to become puffed up with knowledge because we all have an inner Pharisee that needs to die. But what's awesome about this passage, right, and this is where it gets really cool, what's awesome about this passage is that Jesus doesn't just point out our faults. He doesn't just do that. It seemed like he did. Uh, If you look at it a little bit deeper than that, Jesus is calling to us to repent, right? Whenever he says, what sorrow awaits, or other translations say, woe to you, right? That means that if this doesn't stop, sorrow awaits. If this doesn't stop, woe to you. Jesus is saying, repent. He's calling us into experiencing grace. He says, go to God for forgiveness about these things and begin to change your mind and change your heart about how you feel at these things. Right? He's inviting us to experience grace. But here's the thing. You can't repent and you can't come to experience this kind of grace if this is only an insult. Right? Like those guys who said, teacher, you insult us with what you said. Or the Pharisees that got mad and started questioning Jesus at the end of this passage. Right? If it's just an insult, if it just offends you, this kind of stuff, then you can't repent. Because your heart hasn't been broken. So what I'm, what I'm saying is don't try to exclude yourself from this rebuke, right? Search your heart. Stop trying to justify yourself and seeing how that this doesn't apply to you because it applies to everybody. 
And, and what I'm hoping that you'll do is you'll come to this godly sorrow that Paul talks about that leads to repentance. I want us to come to a heartbrokenness over the fact that we've been this way and repent. And the reason why I say that is because in all of this whole message, there is grace. Look to the cross. That's where this whole thing points to. The the cross says this. The cross says that you are prone to wander from loving God and become a self-righteous, legalistic jerk that's puffed up with knowledge. The cross says that's what you're prone to. And then the cross beckons you back to it, and it binds you to it and to God with love because God shows you grace in your wandering. That's what the cross does. Look to the cross. The cross says that you don't have it all together. The cross says that your exterior shell is a lie. Right? If you were actually perfect, Paul says Jesus wouldn't have come and died. If you didn't actually struggle with sin, Jesus wouldn't have come and died. So the cross bids you to come and rest on Jesus' perfection and not your external attempts and tells you to deal with your sin because it's already been dealt with. The cross says this. The cross says you're a sinner. And good news Jesus Christ died for sinners. That's the good news in this whole thing. We are all sinners. We're all messed up. We're all jacked up. And in, in fact, we are so messed up and we are so prone to wandering and so prone to putting on an act and lying to ourselves that it took Jesus doing everything for us in order to save us. Where he took our sin on himself and was perfect for us so we don't have to put up a front. He knew the law perfectly for us so we don't have to put up a front and act like we know everything. He did everything for us in order to save us and then took our sin on himself and paid for it all because we couldn't afford to pay it either. We could do nothing, and he did it all for us. And now because of that grace, we don't have to put on an act. We don't have to build ourselves up with knowledge. We can actually rest on the grace of God found through Jesus Christ given to us. We can rest there. We can stop lying. We can stop fronting, right? So if you don't know anything about finding rest in the grace of Jesus, um, if you don't know what it means to follow Jesus, right, come talk to me after the service. I want to pray with you. We're going to have a couple people over here by the couches while we play music. They want to pray with you. We want to explain this good news about Jesus more and more to you and make this make sense to you because we love you, because we've experienced grace, and we want you to experience this kind of grace too. Right, or... or Maybe you're a Christian, and maybe that this, is, this message has been a knife in your gut, right? I have a feeling that's going to be the majority of people in here. Repent. Change your mind. That's what repent means. Change your mind about how you've been approaching things. Start confessing your sin to somebody. It doesn't have to be me, someone you trust. Confess your sin. Admit that you suck. You can say it. It's cool, right? Admit that. Repent. And if you've been the legalistic Pharisee jerk that, that builds yourself up on knowledge, stop. I'm not telling you to stop studying, but stop relying on that for your identity and your validity. Your identity is in Christ. Repent. I'm in the process of doing it myself. So if you have indeed experienced grace, right, and not religion, what, what I'm going to ask you to do is go and pursue God. Go and love God, and by extension, love other people. Live in a way that reflects that grace and your love for God because he did everything for you and you didn't deserve it. You just want to say thank you. 
Go live that way. Put those ungodly mentalities to death in you that makes you want to look better, that makes you want to put on the show. Put that kind of stuff to death in your life and begin to love God more. That's what we're always after. We're after a pursuit of God because we grow to love him more and more because every day we understand how much we need him more and more. That's what I want us to do. I want, the, I want us to let the grace of God change us internally and lead that to external, where we would love God more than our hidden sin, where we would love others because we love God and we would manifest that in what we do. So I'll leave you guys with this. Don't be a fake. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't be someone putting up a front. Don't be that. Be this. Just, just be someone trying to live in the light of the grace of the gospel. Be that. That's true religion. Let's pray. Um, Father, thank you for the grace of the gospel. More than anything, thank you for that. Thank you for the fact that we can come to you and admit that we suck and we can go to each other and admit that we are sinners and that we deal with junk and we don't have to pretend. We don't have to pretend to be perfect. We don't have to puff ourselves up with knowledge because our identity is in the fact that you showed us grace and that we've been made a child of God. Father, I pray that we begin to find that more beautiful every day. I, I pray that you kill the Pharisee that's inside us. pray that you make us more like Jesus, that we would actually love you in all the things that we do be because we want to say thank you out of gratitude for what you've done for us and the grace you've showed us. Father, you're worthy of all of our adoration and all of our love. Help us to remember that daily and pursue you, pursue you in knowledge and pursue you in, in deed and the things that we do. Father, above everything, thank you again for the cross because that's how we come to you. That's why we worship you. That's how we've been made your children. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in our place. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys would go ahead and stand. We'll focus on Jesus as we sing these songs and reflect on what Davis talked about and just give God all the praise.